Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Really? No, but, but it is being recorded. We're live? Oh, we are live. We, we are going live. We are as of now. But you didn't say that live, though. Who, me? So, the peanut gallery over here likes to make fun of me all, all the time. So, Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. So, I, like I was saying, I feel like we've already been podcasting for like an hour because you show up and hang out and then instantly we just start getting to it. Oh, yeah. Right? And then um, you got to meet Lorelai. Right? Yeah. Which you guys both... <laughs> isn't she impressive? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Now, that, that girl's... Uh, accolades, mm-hmm. her credentials are unbelievable. Yeah, this is this is that's the future, right? This there. is your best friend's daughter or something. One of my friend? very good friends, yeah, that, that yeah. I went that we all went to high school with and, and everything. And, like. I've, and, known, I've known Laura license before. She and was you born. said that she's an honor roll and and five point student, and, yep, a national honor society honor roll for sure. Um, national merit scholar, you know, state swimmer. And she's know. a senior this year. No, she's junior. going into she's going, no, to, she's, she's going oh. to be a senior. Yeah. And can you hear me, or am I cloggy-throated? You sound wonderful. Okay, no, in my ears. Yeah, we can so. hear you. Okay. Yeah, we can hear you. We're good. We're good. Um, so anyway, we were talking about a lot of different topics. But we didn't finish with her yet. Oh, yeah, right. Go ahead. She, so she keeps got, me in got check. all these credentials. He's so good at this. And Dennis tells her, you got to apply for the first ever CCA scholarship. Right, so scholarship she goes program. to Mudhole Rod Manufacturing for a week and... Tags fish and plants mangroves and does stands up and does talks and all these and shows up on time every day. And at the end of the week, they give out three scholarships out of ten candidates, and she gets the number one big scholarship. So no, she's most impressive. If yeah. you know, I wish more children. You, I mean, would follow such a discipline yeah. path. It's great. You want to know something, and you guys could both probably appreciate this, and you especially being, you know, a, a lifetime accomplished captain. After she tells me, she gets back and she goes, 
you know what I think made it made me win it? I'm like, <laughs> like that, right? And I'm like, what? The fact that you're smarter than everybody else there? And she goes, no. She goes, we did that Bear Monday charter, right? What she's talking about, right? And she goes, wouldn't you know it? Because I was the only one that thanked the captain for taking us out. <laughs> like that. She goes, she, she was so upset that no one else said thanks to the captain. She goes, you believe these kids? Just like that. 17 years old, she says that. It's yeah. great. That's so, a, that's, that just that's shows you what she's made of. Quality, but it, kids got it character. says a lot for who taught her everything. Mm -hmm. who Certainly. She learned by exposure, whatever it was. Yeah. She had good parenting at some point. Yeah, 100%. Sure. And she was upset about that, that no one else well, said that's, thanks. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, she she good couldn't. for her. Yeah, so uh, today um, I'd like to welcome you guys officially to the Connected by Water podcast, powered by Joey Cardi Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram, and fueled by our good friends at Pops Pilar yeah. Rum, who remind us never to be a spectator. Hey. All right. We'd like to thank all our friends over there. Um, Yanni, thanks for joining us, and we have the lovely Carlene behind the bar once again. Thank you very much for showing up and hanging out with us. Yep. Um, so like I was saying, I feel like we've already been podcasting for quite some time because we really were getting into it next door um, in my studio area. Um, I want to pump the brakes on that and introduce you guys officially, though, so everyone <laughs> understands. Say, who's this beautiful lady? Yeah, that's I'm what I mean. So be, before we kind of get into all that, I really want to you know carve this up nicely for the for the audience that's listening. So, um, bouncer. This is your second, third time on the show. Second, right? actually. No, third, third, third. Third, that's right. Because right, you that's came right. on on the Papa's party yeah, that one Yeah, the, night, the right? Papa's party, right? right? And then, um, so, you know, thank you very much for coming back here. And you oh, brought, a, brought a friend with you, right? And uh, it, it's a friend of all of us, um, Ellen Peel. I, it really means a lot that you're here with us today. And, and I want to thank you for coming in. And for those that don't know you, right, you are the Billfish Foundation. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. Amen. Um, that no is a hundred. There's no better way to say no it. No right? better way to you say it. You are the Billfish Foundation. I want to give a little bit of background on you, right? I just I printed this out, this letter here, just so I made sure I got everything proper, right? I know that you, uh, you were talking earlier about how you started out as an art major, <laughs> so we both had that that love and passion <laughs> for creativity, but you switched over to a law degree um, at Old Miss, right? And um, you never looked back ever since right from that law degree i mean you just started pushing forward on, on implementing policy and you you've just been a key person in this world of fisheries management to be the one that really is going to help implement policy and make things happen and we thank you for for all that you've done and do still do um i want to say a couple of things about how you were once appointed by the president as u.s commissioner of icat Correct. Right. U.S. Recreational Fishing Commissioner to ICAP. Wow. Which meant that, you know, I represented the U.S. anglers mm -hmm. in the international regional body in negotiating, you know, uh, regulation, not regulations, their, their recommendations at the international level for fishing in the Atlantic and all adjacent waters and conservation of billfish. Excellent. Excellent. So I want everyone to know that's listening. Um, this is no slouch here. She, she knows what she's doing. She knows what she's talking about. Um, 26 years right. she has devoted her life to preserving some billfish for our grandkids to enjoy fishing. Exactly. That's exactly. all that Ellen represents is nothing but promoting the future of sport fishing in the blue water. Yeah. 
Well, so, I like to say it as the Billfish Foundation conservation successes today are your best insurance for continued fishing tomorrow and into future generations. We are not an environmental organization. We are a sport fishing conservation organization that wants to ensure sport fishing opportunities remain available. Mm -hmm. And that depends on the abundance of fish in the water. Right. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And the right to fish in those waters, because that's becoming a big issue. As as a pure layman, I understand that there is federal discussion of 30% of the oceans being set aside somehow. Well, yes. In the executive order that was issued in January of last year, the president, you know, among all concerns for climate change, said that by 2030, 30% of all U.S. waters will be closed to all fishing. Now, to try to mitigate the negative impacts of climate change. And I say, you know, fishing leaves a very small impact on climate change, you know, that I took this to be quite harsh. Mm -hmm. And so we finally tried to move the conversation to and have, but it's to work to 2030 is going to take a while. We are saying, look, the United States already has areas where they could be closed zones as that off of East Coast Florida and in the Gulf of Mexico. Those are closed to pelagic longlining. There are sanctuaries. There are other areas of water that are closed. Mm -hmm. And so our recommendation then is to credit all the waters closed toward this 30% goal. And in doing so, we should be a good step forward in meeting that goal. When you think about the big sanctuaries in the South Pacific, they're huge. Uh, And if you were to credit all of that water, it gives us a big step toward reaching 30%. But yes, no, that is an executive order. But one thing I want to touch on real quick is is along that line, it's a little bit different, but any sportsman, outdoorsman knows that a duck hunter worries more about the future of ducks than any other man. Mm-hmm. A deer hunter worries more about the future of deer stocks than any other man alive. A bill fisherman worries more about the preservation of billfish than any other man alive. So everybody that's involved in that recreational uh, venue is a steward of that fishery. And they all worry about the future of the fishery. So those people are really, really very important to the water. And I also want to mention, while I've got the floor, that already in the Atlantic Ocean, there's only supposed to be 250 marlin harvested by U.S. flag vessels or U.S. citizens. That means if you go to the Canary Islands, and a U.S. flag boat or you're a U.S. citizen, if you kill a marlin there, it counts against the United States 250 fish a year. The quarter for the year. And how many longline boats does it take to catch 250 marlin? I don't have the exact data. But, but it sounds like oh, a couple of nights well, or and, days. And, and the important point here is to note that it's the foreign longline vessels. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at what, the U.S. longline vessels, and I don't like the gear at all, 
But when you see, you know, one country has landed 5,000 metric tons. Right. Now we're talking a whole bunch of fish. The U.S. vessels land, well, they can't even land. They must release, according to law, all billfish, dead or alive. But you're right with, you know, the U.S. longline vessels put out primarily about 40 to 50 miles a line. Mm -hmm. That's nothing compared to what other nations put out. You know, it's and that American vessel has a camera aimed oh, yeah. at the door uh, where we the fish have to come be the most the most regulated oh, country out of all. No comparison, right? No With, comparison. Without question, yeah, we without are. question. I mean, if you if you look at, I mean, the other countries are, are is in the in the South Pacific, especially that there's no circle hooks. What size circles? Circle hooks. Uh, uh, soak times. Everything. I mean, there's so many regulations. That are there to preserve the future of our fisheries. And they want to keep regulated and keep regulating and they keep regulating. Now, some regulations we believe in, like, uh, for example, taking the mutton size from 16 inches to 18 inches works because through the scientific study, we realize, okay, that's the mature cycle for, for harvesting or, or for giving birth. And, you know, and that's when they have the babies and over 18, you're good. But that length between 16 and 18, that's a crucial birth period for the female muttons. And then... There you go. So the regulation, okay, we believe in that. Okay, that that helps. That's justification for that regulation. Uh, we talk about mahi regulations. There's no reason people need to be to take as many mahis as they are they've taken, and we agree with that, right? So, and most, like you said, the conservationists or the the no one cares more about conservation than the people actually doing it all the time. They want to preserve that for fu- for themselves and for future generations to come. It's about no. responsible use. Hundred percent. I mean, we understand all of us that extract from the natural resources mm-hmm. and want to keep doing it, understand that. So where are you standing now on like the closing of certain fisheries? Well, don't hit me, Ellen. I'm a pretty strong proponent of some natural reef reserves. Okay. I, I think that we need to have, not a lot, but intermittent along the coast, Areas that might be five miles by five miles or five miles by two miles or whatever mm-hmm. it may be of of natural bottom or, or or even if it was planted with artificial reefs, but at any rate, areas where a black grouper or a yellowtail or a mangrove snapper can grow to its maximum size and and propagate to the max. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we harvest every a uh, black grouper when it's 24 and a quarter inches we first of all we take all of the uh uh 300 pound black groupers out of the picture like if we eliminated all if we eliminated all the fish at 25 inches pretty soon you're by natural selection you're eliminating the really really big ones you're eliminating the uh bio uh science that says that this one's going to be resistance to uh to uh, flu, and this is going to be resistant to COVID, and this is going to be resistant to diabetes. You, when you eliminate everything at this at a small size, and you reduce the population, you reduce the health of the overall population. Okay. Uh, like if you took all the Wilt Chamberlains out of the world, you wouldn't have any seven foot <laughs> selfish anymore. Right. So it it has that kind of impact. So having an area. They can stay natural. And personally, some people say, well, the nobody should be allowed in there. I think if they develop that, I, I have thought this my whole career, 
that it would be so great if a dive boat could go to a reef and a person could know that they were going to jump in the water and they were going to encounter a Goliath grouper and they were going to encounter a 60 or 70 pound black grouper and a cloud of flag yellowtails because there was a limited area where there was no harvest. Mm-hmm. No, no catch and release even because catch and release, although it's very minor amount of harm to the fish, it does harm some fish. So, how, I'm curious how you envision that being enforced, though. Like, what if there's someone that is just a weekend warrior out and just goes on a boat and is not aware of that area? Well, as an example, uh, the Miami Billfish Tournament wanted to have an area where there would be no power bank sticks and no electric reels, no power reels. So the government said you can do that if you can mark all four corners with buoys. Mm -hmm. So they put buoys in 40 feet of water and they stayed for years. Hmm. But they put a buoy in 300 feet of water and it lasted about 18 months. And then they put another buoy in 300 feet of water and it lasted about nine months. Mm -hmm. And these buoys cost $20,000, a piece. So the progress never succeeded. But if, if it was... This reef, all down through the Keys, they already have buoys around the area that's closed. Mm-hmm. And, and anybody, for one thing, to make law enforcement easier, if there was a boat in that area and it didn't have its permit number printed on the top, it couldn't, go, it couldn't be in that area. So then even a helicopter flying over or a plane flying over could say, you know, could say yeah, he's got the permit. To take the divers there to see that 80-pound black grouper and that cloud of yellowtails. Mm-hmm. But no other boats would be able to anchor in there. Now, you say you said for Ellen not to hit you. Why? Well, why, why, why? Because I know Ellen doesn't feel as strongly about reserves as I do. But. Well, it depends on the species. Certainly for bottom fish, mm-hmm. makes far more sense where there's not a great deal of migration. For a highly migratory fish, you know, if, if those fish are just moving through... You know, it's not being very It's effective. not viable to have a reserve, really. I mean, well, right. you can have a protected area, which the longline closures are not reserves, but protected areas. Mm-hmm. Right. And, a and, reserve is like they did with, uh, was it Eastern Dry Western Dry Rocks, the Dry Rocks, where they closed it because everything spawns there. And they closed the Tortugas. And the Tortugas, when they closed that, made that reserve in the Tortugas, their spawning aggregations of mutton snappers were four and five fish. Mm-hmm. They're back to their spawning aggregations being uncountable numbers of thousands of mutton snappers. Yeah. And when the, and those mutton snappers, the eggs go halfway up the state of Florida and the Gulf of Mexico, and the eggs go three-quarters of the way up the east coast of Florida, propagating mutton snappers all over almost the whole state of Florida. We had uh, Timmy Maddock on, or Tim Maddock Sr. on the show uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was saying he was talking to someone that spends a lot of time down in the Tortugas. I don't know who it was. Uh, And he says with the American Red, you know, regulations that have been in place, and pretty soon their populations are going to grow. They're going to give the mutton snapper a run for their money down in the Tortugas. Um, So I I thought that was a pretty pretty bold statement, too, about how the whole regulation can kind of, well, that, challenge that, itself over and over again, right? That opens a whole other can of worms. Okay. Because I don't, I think you have to search far and wide to find a recreational fisherman that doesn't hold it against 
the South Atlantic Council and the Golf Council for what they do with red snappers. Mm -hmm. Because almost everywhere, there's so many red snappers, it's virtually impossible to fish for anything else. Mm -hmm. And and the recreational fisherman has a hard time figuring out how you justify not allowing more than two days a year to fish for a fish that thick. And yes, they might be at their prime to spawn when they're 20 to 30 pounds, but that doesn't mean 10 to 20 pounders don't spawn at all. It just means that you go from 500,000 eggs to a million and a half eggs, but 500,000 eggs is still pretty viable when you have so many fish that you can't get through them to catch a grouper. So Yeah. Alan, your history with... um implementing policy and, and different things. It was intricate with long lining, mm-hmm. uh, especially back in like the 90s, right? Right. I think it was. Um, now, where does this take us to a lot of the smaller operation, independent shark line, long lining guys um, might not follow too much into what you're talking about with a lot of the international guys? Right? Well, you know what? I think it's important for listeners to understand. They probably already know since they're the folks on the water. You know, there are two types of longline boats. There are the pelagic longline, which are the surface, which are the ones that catch billfish and other critters uh, that we want protected as bycatch. Mm-hmm. Then there's the bottom longline fishery. And while it may sound counterintuitive, the bottom longline shark fishery extracted enough sharks from the water, and those were sold not only for the basic protein from the whole fish, but also for the shark fin protein. Mm -hmm. And once that fishery collapsed because of the National Marine Fishery Service, you know, just clamping down, clamping down, you can't kill this shark, you can't harvest that one. First of all, the market for the fins collapsed. Mm Mm-hmm. Then the fishery collapse because the value of the fins far exceed the rest of the protein of the fish. Right now, technically, a legally harvested shark mm-hmm. can be you know landed and the fin removed. And I think it's an important public awareness uh, statement to point out that removing the fin from a legally landed shark that is dead does not constitute finning. Right. That is removing the fin so it can be sold. Right. However, and finning is horrible. None of us want to see that. But the folks on Capitol Hill, you know, they know just a scintilla amount of information about most of what they deal with unless that happens to be their area. But I tuned in and listened to one Senate uh, committee, just a part of it on finning, you know, and the senator was like, now you understand finning, they're cutting off the fins of live sharks. This is horrible. And one senator said, well, In Japan, maybe, but you see some videos that are like, okay, and they're doing that. And I think that's really what people saw. That's right. And, and it's not the whole story. And they react. And so uh, this uh, another senator said, well, but are there other ways? And the senator leaving the discussion said, no, no, no. And I want to go, even though I was so remote. Yes, there is. There mm-hmm. are sharks you can land legally by the bottom long line fishery. And if the National Marine Fishery Service were to spend some money to reinvigorate that fishery, as they have tried to do with swordfish fishery, then you would have more sharks 
removed from the water, the market would go up, and it, there would be a better balance. Right. Just to give you an idea of the history of sharks on, in Florida, mm-hmm. prior to World War II, oh a vast majority of all the vitamin pills that were given to people <laughs> came from sharks, came from their livers. Mm-hmm. For years, the charter boat industry, especially after the movie Jaws, sold shark mounts by the thousands. And, and and for some period of time, they used the real jaws and they may have stretched some skin and stuff. But as they got away from live mounts and went to fiberglass mounts, there was no reason to kill the fish anymore. So they decreased the number of fish being killed. And, and the demand for shark with the limits on the finning and everything else. There was a time in Miami where other than a hammerhead shark, you got paid every so much per foot for the skin used to make wallets and shoes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So much a pound for the flesh, so much a pound for the fins, so much a pound, uh, a set of jaws for the jaws. Literally every part of the shark was a viable commercial pr- product. But with regulations and, and public impressions and whatnot, the uh, control of the shark population collapsed mm-hmm. to where now we have a situation, which most of our people that are listening to this know it, but today the sharks are so out of balance with the other fish that a guy can't go catch a snapper or grouper because the sharks eat almost every one he hooks. Can't catch an amberjack. The yellowfin tuna. Uh, the yellowfin tunas are down to where a guy hooks, he hooks, 60 yellowfin tunas off of North Carolina mm-hmm. to land 10. It's insane. Or is it six? It would be six well, out of six. The ratio it's is one bad. Out of 10. The ratio is bad. Yeah. And, it's been, and, you know, as we talked to our good friend Art Sapp, and he just, he's basically just says, hey, when the sharks show up and you're yellowfin tuna fishing, you, you got to just leave yeah. and go somewhere else and try your luck in another spot because they'll well, be there and they're not going to leave. Well, yeah. look at the hundreds of thousands of dollars that are spent. In Florida, on the winter sailfish activities, mm-hmm. and then up the coast in Daytona and stuff, it's a summer fishery as well. And off of Jupiter, it's not uncommon to have every billfish you hook devoured by a pack of sharks. Yeah, and I, and what happens is this, this is an area where they live bait for for sailfish, so the boats are only moving at a mile or two an hour, and a pack of sh- sandbar sharks and bull sharks. We'll sit underneath the boat going around in circles, just waiting for you to hook something. Mm-hmm. And Carrie Chen, famous artist like yourself, has published numerous times a picture of a sailfish jumping with one sailfish holding onto the tail and one sailfish, uh, one shark one holding onto yeah. the tail and one shark holding onto the belly of the sailfish while it's jumping. Yep. It you just can't have that imbalance in a population. You cannot, and that's the whole. The balance is the is the key word. I mean, you were on here last time. You said that one of the major reasons that you retired from fishing is because you couldn't stand dealing with all the sharks anymore. Uh, especially par- tarpon were like my good buddies. I, right, I've never killed any tarpon, but every every tarpon I hooked, I was scared to death a shark was going to come after it. Fortunately, in Miami. The only selfish I lost to sharks, I lost one to a to a, uh, a silky shark mm-hmm. uh, in the 
late 60s, early 70s, the only other sailfish I ever lost to sharks were tomato sharks. Yeah. And mako sharks, they spend their whole life eating sailfish. Yeah. And, there's not much so, you can do. If so a mako wants something, just, there's not much you can just, do about and it. And certainly, the makos are in trouble. This is one of the big problems that we have today is the pelagic offshore sharks are overfished as incidental catch to other to longline mostly, right? Yeah. Well, the and, and the sandbar shark and the bull shark are not in that neighborhood. So no. they're not controlled by longline. Right. Conversely, the makos are. so. And makos are prohibited from being landed by anyone in the U.S., in 2022 and 2023. That's a result of the October international uh, negotiations. Right. So that, you know, adds one more restriction on sharks. Mako, Mako off the board. That's right. And, at the, you know, in response to... And a lot of people consider that a sport fish. Yes, yes. And some states are going off the charts in wackoism mm-hmm. uh, after looking at finning videos. Texas passed a law that you cannot possess any part of a shark in the state of Texas. Really? Texas. Texas. Come on. If I have a set of shark jaws in my house, I can get arrested? Well, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't push it. Surely they're looking to try to stop export because Texas was a large export state and other states were sending their sharks there. So Texas and I'm sure from the environmentalist pushing it said by god we got to stop this so you can't possess a shark part in texas hawaii went even further in some ways they said I'm sure they did you cannot even fish for a shark yeah. and so what you see is happening you're seeing maybe well-intentioned but overreaction by bureaucrats and you're going to end up you know with more and more sharks in the water you know mako will be another and more and more angler hooked fish and other species are being taken well i want to emphasize one thing really important right here mm-hmm. this is one of the reasons we have to thank ellen peel every night when we <laughs> say our prayers because remember that ellen has fought when they wanted to ban fishing in the blue water because they might catch a white marlin right. if white marlin went on right. the endangered species they could shut down all blue water fishing you couldn't fish for mahi or sailfish, or swordfish, or blue, because you might hook a white marlin and injure it. Well, this is why I wanted to make mention right when we started the show to make it clear to the audience, like, this this is who's fighting for you this on the is, high level. This is our spokesperson. Yeah, so, like, we bring on people on the show. They want to express their opinions and their ideas. And obviously, Bouncer, you, you bring such great worth to the show and, and your experience and everything like that, but you're going to the hill, literally, for yeah. us. Yes, and what is one of the biggest challenges? I'm going to say we as anglers, though I don't fish as much as I used to. Anglers want to fish. It is one of the strongest passions in their lives, and that's fabulous. Anglers do not want to talk about fishery policy. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it takes responding to calls to help with fishery policy you know, you you have to bring about some change. And currently, the biggest problem I'm facing with shark depredation to try to get the government's attention is anglers rather fish, and that's wonderful. But they don't go to our website, download the drafted letter that's already there, and all they have to do is put in their name and their address, and 
it then immediately sends the letter to the senators. And I know that's boring, and I know it probably takes 10 minutes, and it's not as exciting as fishing. But if you want to keep fishing, it takes some of those more, I mean, boring actions to help me get some leverage, you know, until we can get the attention of the senators. It's Yankee Doodle Dandy. Nobody's paying attention. Uh, you You just pushed my button. I can't go any further. My turn. Let me tell you something. You have to, everybody, on the day that they get up in the morning, they were going to go fishing and it's blowing 25. They have to go on the Billfish Foundation site and, and for that matter, CCA and everybody else and, and Captains for Clean Water and fill out all these petitions and push a button and they go to the proper people. You don't even have to write the letter. You can put your form letters. But you also, very important, when you didn't go fishing because it was blowing 30. Now, I know we're all paying exorbitant prices for gas. We're paying exorbitant prices for groceries. But when you don't go fishing for the day, write a check or go. maybe you can go online and get out your credit card. But send some money to the Billfish Foundation, to the CCA, to the IGFA, to the Accountants for Clean Water. These Bullfish people- these people cannot operate without finances. And let me interject here. All those other very honorable groups you mentioned deserve applaud and credit for many things. The Billfish Foundation is the only organization that is working in, on the international aspects of billfish conservation. It's very true. I've had representatives of other groups completely try to contradict me on the, some of the closed zone issues, mm-hmm. saying, oh, no, we lost those two years ago. I know, no, you did not. There are temporary closures, and there are year-round closures. The year-round closures are what makes, makes a difference. Other groups do not have the interest because they have many other species. Billfish Foundation is all about billfish. Mm-hmm. We don't represent tadpoles and all the other things out there. And so the other groups get distracted, and they're not on billfish. If you want to know what's happening on billfish, contact TBF. If you want your money to make a difference on billfish, send it to TBF. So speaking of Billfish Foundation and all the shark talk, right? So we talk about the elephant tunas and the tarpon and everything like that, but they're starting to eat sailfish. No, no, start, <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, like. And I'm going in retro saying now they're starting to eat sailfish and coming around when, when we really started noticing the big problem. So the Billfish Foundation steps in. Oh. Right? Big time. Yes. and But what it still takes, it takes numbers, anglers out there who want to fish mm-hmm. to do the boring task of sending in the letters until we get enough, you know, numbers to the senators and their staff to pay attention that this is an issue that is, you know, causing problems for an industry, a big industry. They aren't going to do anything. So TBF mm-hmm. is, you know, has stepped in and is saying to senators, you've got to step in and review, give tighter scrutiny to the National Marine Fisheries Service and their management. Mm-hmm. National Marine Fisheries Service's response is, we are studying it. Now, it sounds terrific to say Research is being done. Most folks, folks think da 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 da. Mm-hmm. A solution is coming. No, 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 no. 
Uh, the National Marine Fishery Service just put $195 plus thousand dollars to two universities to, quote, study this shark issue. See if you can, you know, help us solve this well. And after expending that, National Marine Fishery Service shared their recommendations at a recent meeting. Number one is that they wanted, if you see sharks, move your boat. My favorite of all, if sharks are taking your fish. Move your boat if you see a shark. That, really? But the best one is if sharks start taking your fish, lower your engine noise. <laughs> How do you feel about Ellen, Carlene? Lower your engine noise. Can you imagine? I mean, this clearly was written by you know bureaucrats with the help of the scientists who received the hundred ninety-five thousand. You know, they were charged. Oh, they received the hundred. Okay. The universities they were charged with help us figure out how we can count how many sharks are taking these fish. I say the answer is simple: too many. Mm-hmm. Then the second one is help us help anglers identify the shark species taking their fish. It makes no difference. They're all sharks. And so if you count a zillion or you count a thousand, it makes no difference. If you count, I mean, I don't care if the 19 species are involved. The fact of the matter is they're sharks and there are way too many of these incidences. So giving, you know, 200,000 for universities to study it, think about how good that makes the government bureaucrats feel. And when they are then they have to send an annual report to Congress on sharks. And so they go, we're researching it. And doesn't that sound satisfying? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't and can't. We want to make sure that these issues like move your boat, lower your engine noise, you know, to become public knowledge of how foolish they are. Uh, they're they're feeling good about what they're doing, but it's not doing anything to help. Other than the government bureaucrats are having a sense of satisfaction, which is doing nothing to lower the encounter rate. Yeah, Ellen, absolutely not. Ellen, can I ask you a question? In your opinion, everybody has a camera on their phone every day, and everybody has their phone on the boat all the time, and most of the time they got it in their hand. Would having people shoot videos or shoot pictures of the results or the actions taking place. Would the Billfish Foundation be able to collect those videos to to send to the senators? Or would some other organization be able to collect the videos? I think what we share need, with the I think what we need to do as the gentleman that was in the, your office earlier today described yeah, yeah, having yeah. four or five bull sharks under his boat the whole time he was in the Bahamas. I think it's pulling together some effective video, mm-hmm. some effective still photos, and putting that together with the narrative, you know, the uh, economics of it. The Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission issued at a recent uh, meeting statistics from 2019. This state has more than 4 million anglers, supporting 88,501 jobs all of which generates $9 billion in revenue. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a serious industry. Significant. Yes, this isn't paying $25 to go out and you know, ride around. This is serious money. So 
anglers and boat owners and captains and mates are responsible users of the resources. And this industry needs to be taken seriously. We are serious about conserving and about responsible use. So the numbers are in our favor, except for the bureaucrats won't do anything to lower the the Uh, counter. I think I just came upon a more important picture to send Ellen. Remember the picture he had of the young lady that was ripped to shreds? Yeah, oh yeah, the one that Anthony showed, yeah. and, And so many other people that we all know who have been attacked by sharks and the pictures that are available Mm-hmm. Maybe we ought to send those pictures to the government. Well, it couldn't hurt. I yes, mean. and I think I think you know we'd be happy to collect them, but I think putting it together in an organized, collective, persuasive manner is essential. You know, they only have so much time, and right now we all know, God, there's all sorts of crazy things going on in mm-hmm. D.C. So it has to be succinct to a point, but you know, it has to make your message whether they read the words or hear the words, but you've got to see it. And I can understand why a coastal community may not want to put on the local news or in the newspaper about anyone get, getting bitten by a shark. I heard after the Florida attack that was put on national news the other day, you know, experts came on and said, look, now remember, shark attacks on humans are extremely rare. But there's more in Florida than any other place in the world. Yeah, any other place However, in the world. That expert said in 2021, there were 73 in United States waters. Now, that's a fair number. On the same day, one of the scientists from Rasmus in Miami had a segment saying, from our, I'm going to say satellite tagging, I wasn't familiar with the type of tags because with sharks, you can get different tags than you put on billfish. But he was saying our data from the pingings clearly established these sharks are coming in closer. Mm-hmm. Now, so all indications are there are more of them. They're coming closer. And as they come in closer, you, there's no way you can not have some human encounter. It's going to happen. Collateral yes. damage at least. Yes. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot more if those to whom it's reported, if they don't share, trying to cover up as if there's no problem out there. So there's one thing that we we've mentioned on the show a lot is that the misuse of the scientific research that's being done to back up their statements or to back up their regulations or their policies or whatever they want to implement, um, you're getting, you're not listening to the citizen science. You're not listening to the guy that's out there every day. And if you're not fishing in 150 to 300 then you're not hearing what we're saying if you're trying to collect this data in 600 well that's not where it's happening you know it's it's happening along you know the feeding lines and 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 the angling lines of where we're we're setting up and and that's really the issue is that we're bringing in fish and the fish are getting cut in half all the time way too much right, right? and and they're not and they're not they're they're going well we found this so well you didn't fish with the people that know what they're doing Right. Exactly. And the fact of the matter is, you, you notice they'll kind of skim over as they start talking about the shark science. Mm-hmm. There are very few, even relatively current, stock assessments for Atlantic sharks. And for some, there's no assessment. You know, they call it, the, quote, the best available science. Well, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to put pressure on the senators to say, look, 
got to force them to advance stock assessments on X number of shark species in the next X years. Mm -hmm. Now, that brings up another unfortunate issue where stock assessment scientists are difficult to recruit any longer. These are the guys and gals who are mathematical wizards. They put together computer models, all math, then they take data, and it can be, if you want to test a model, you're going to create a data set that you know what the absolute is, Mm -hmm. and you're going to put it in and run it against certain scenarios. So you know when X pops out, that's the right answer. So individuals who have that grasp of math, instead of going for fish science, they now are being paid a lot of money to go into the tech world. Right. Which, you know, makes it even more challenging. Yeah, it's an uphill battle. And this is what we said earlier. It comes down to money and and the need for it. Unfortunately, you know, it's not going to be able to get supported unless, unless that's there because the result is going to be this. And, you know, I, I would ha- I would have to bring this up be- while we're doing this podcast and while we're talking about um, this topic. Um, you're going to get a group like Sportsman Fighting for Marine Balance on the Facebook page, okay? And what that is is who we talked about. Those are the guys that are in it every day, waist deep, doing the job. And, and these are the charter captains. So these are the guys that are out on the water all the time. And listen. They may say some off-the-cuff things every now and then. They might be venting to their buddies and saying, oh, about, you know, negative things about sharks. But the fact of the matter is they're seeking balance. Right. right. And they're, they're not looking to annihilate or, or eliminate sharks forever or anything like that. And thank you. And, and you know, and put balls in their heads. And, yeah, maybe they make a joke in it, but they're not going to do that. And listen, they just want balance. They want to restore the balance of their fisheries and they want to keep just everything operating and running smoothly and running right right now it's not and just trust us on this it's not right and so they have this tournament that they are coming up with the shark tournament and then all these now i'll say this there's a goal that i have on this show is i would like to redefine the term environmentalist because i think it's been tainted over the years and i've said this on other episodes too where environmentalists can just be someone who just is concerning about their environment right and just wants to just take care of it like a conservationist right we say conservation versus environmentalism should be succinct right it should it should be one-on-one but it's not it's received a bad name because you got people marching in streets with posters and being aggressive and really not knowing what they're talking about they probably never stepped foot in the ocean once in their lives some of them right they just say oh they see these videos That's of right. the fins coming off and getting done and the shark getting dumped in the water and they think they have the solution to all the world's problems. It's just not true, right? So, thank you. So, there's a shark tournament. And I can tell you right now firsthand because I've seen conversations and I've heard conversations and I've read conversations and I've talked to these people, right? They are not doing anything in this tournament that is outside the letter of the law. I can tell you that right now. They have registered their tournament legally through all processes that they're supposed to register their tournament, and they're going to conduct themselves in the proper legal way on that tournament. And I can tell you this firsthand because I know they don't want anything to go wrong. They don't want anything to be negative to negatively impact what they're trying to achieve in this tournament. Because number one is awareness to our issue, to our problem, right? And number two is just flat out show people that the numbers are there. Look, this is how many sharks that are in the water. Right. So, I mean, to the point where 
you know, they're getting a lot of pushback from a lot of different groups that I think is just unnecessary in my mind. Yeah, I mean, if if you don't understand those interacting with the resource, then be cautious before you start criticizing. Right. If a group of anglers wanted to do harm to the sharks, they wouldn't post that they're going to have a gathering where many of them are going to get together and they're going to land some of these. They do whatever they wanted to do on any old Monday, Tuesday, Thursday mm-hmm. and not mention right. it. Right. I mean, my understanding of what the anglers want to do with this tournament is to demonstrate that there is an excessive number of Atlantic shark species in the water taking fish hooked. There's no doubt about that. And for anyone who's overreacting and just wanting to create sensationalism, that may be great for their marketing, but it's not good for you know, true conservation or responsible use for resources. Right. I, I'd like to perfectly stated. I'd like to give a perfect example of what impact we're talking about. I was a full time professional sport fishing guide for fifty four years. In fifty four years, the first forty five years I had one sailfish taken by a shark. (laughs) In the first 50 years that I was a professional guide, and my two primary fish were sailfish and tarpon, in the first 45 years I had one sailfish taken by a shark, and I had, in 50 years, I never had a tarpon taken by a shark. (laughs) And in the last four years I was in business, Every sport fish I hooked, I was in fear that I was going to see my buddy. These are fish that I never intentionally killed. I would always catch them, treat them as possible, as well as I would treat an opponent in a football game or a tennis match. That's what these fish were to me. It was a game of tug of war. We were both supposed to go away happy and come back and do it again tomorrow. But I quit the business more than any other reason. Because I feared seeing my best friend, the tarpon that lives 50, 60 years, eaten by a shark. Mm-hmm. And and I was lucky. I fished in Miami where the sharks weren't real bad on the sailfish yet. But my buddies just 50 miles up the coast in Palm Beach, they would get 100% of their billfish eaten by sharks some days. Guys losing five and six billfish in a day to sharks, including sailfish and white marlin. I mean, and forget about and even in Miami, snappers, groupers, a guy'd say, I want to go catch some eating fish. Well, we can't fish for snappers, groupers, or amberjacks because everyone gets eaten by a shark and they're not thick enough to say, Well, I'm going to feed 10 to the sharks and land one because mm-hmm. there just aren't that many quality bottom fish around. So you couldn't afford to just keep feeding them to the sharks. You just had to quit bottom fish. Well, fishing. that's quite a, a testimony for anyone who really fishes and have been on the water to hear that bouncer who is one of the world's leading captains to mm-hmm. say the shark depredation has gotten so bad that I elected to retire so that I didn't have to witness 
the demise of the species that are so important to this industry. Yeah, that was the most profound statement that you made on our last episode, I felt. Like, that's the one thing I took away from that. And, and just for the, the exact reason that you stated, I was like, wow. I wasn't expecting you to say that on that last episode. I was like, really? That That's pretty, That's very significant. Well, it's a heartfelt truth. Yeah. That's what yeah. it is. I mean. So, listen, and there's going to be those that are going to come out... Oh, guess what? What? We have a secret caller. Oh, boy. We're in trouble <laughs> he now. Wants to, he wants to talk. <laughs> we are now going to bring on quickly Sir Michael Myatt from Papa's Pilar Rum. Yo, ho, ho. Michael, how are you? I am doing great. How are you doing? Fine. I'm doing better now that I know that Mike Myatt's in the room. Well, I actually dialed the wrong number. I was calling oh, out no. to order number one and number 12, two chicken wings and uh, four spring rolls. <laughs> you didn't have to tell us the truth. You could have made us believe you loved us. <laughs> <laughs> you know I love you, Bounce. Come no on. doubt about it. But you know what is uh, I, uh, I got a new boat, uh, took Picked it up last week. Oh, you got Fail- it. Uh, failing miserably at driving it, though. Really? <laughs> yeah. What I is mean, it? it is like going from driving a truck Pilar. to a Hell's Lamborghini, bag. and I just can't quite get it. So it's the Hell's Bay, um, huh? Yeah, Hell's Bay Biscayne. A little, I, figured, like, I figured if Mike Mike couldn't drive it, it must be a pedal boat. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's a swan boat bounce. You know, you know it's a swan boat. Perfect. But perfect. I needed to take a minute not only to call up and uh, say hi to Denny and uh, the hostess with the Moses, Miss Carlene. How's the kids? The kids okay? They're doing great. She stopped by the other day, brought both of them. They're both absolutely gorgeous. Nice. Is she sleep deprived? That's how they get their way. They train you. They I think she's starting to get there. I think she's starting to get there, Mike. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. Just say yes, Mom. Just say yes and put chocolate on it. Be done with it. Put him in front of Barney. I mean, that's what I did. My son's perfectly unsituated. Come on. What could possibly go wrong? But I, I couldn't uh, couldn't miss the opportunity to call up and just say thank you as a user of the resource of billfish and tuna around the world when you have two of my favorite people and two of the largest advocates for you know recreational fishermen uh planet wide uh with ellen and bouncer on the show i mean well done guys i'm absolutely humbled by your tireless efforts and uh and appreciative yeah, I'm sitting in front of greatness here, Mike. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's just, um, like I said, from a recreational guy, and you know, being with IGFA for a very long time, I was much more in tune, you know, with what was going on with ICAT and stuff like that. But, uh, Alan, uh, how many years right now at the Billfish Foundation? 26. She started 20. when she was three years old. That's right. Like, that's right. I was that's right. Say, I mean, it was so, a kindergarten like, child project. Labor laws, you probably had to get a work permit to go and work with them, didn't you? Without question, yes. Without question. There you go. <laughs> and bouncer, how how many years have you been working with TBF? Uh when did they found the TBF? Eighty six. Uh, since nineteen eighty six. Wow. I was a slow wow. starter though, but I was lucky enough to be friends with Wynn Rockefeller who was very key in starting the Billfish Foundation. And and I was a slow starter, but, boy, 
it's such an important organization. It is. I just want to clarify. If we want to take action, send you money or send you a picture, it's tbf.org. Is that correct? Yes. Because we hadn't mentioned that all afternoon. So. Excellent. Well, that's 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 a good thing to mention because, uh, you know, after working for a nonprofit for all those years, I like to say put one hand on your computer screen and the other hand on your wallet. And if, if, you, if you're not going to be active, pay. Pay for people that are active. Amen. And, right. And, you know, it's either get, give, or get out. Okay. And I think that, uh, I think a lot of people are sort of confused that, um, at what level they can participate. And, um, you know, sitting here, I'm looking at some pictures on the wall of my first trip down to Tropic Star Lodge, which I was fortunate enough to have, uh, a really great photographer with me. And I caught, uh, three blacks, five blues, and a bunch of sailfish. And Raleigh working and I put 11 tags into those fish. That's wonderful. My first trip yeah. ever fishing for billfish. That's fabulous. And I have and I have the tags and I have them in the uh, in the frames. That's Fantastic. cool. So, Very that's cool. great, Mike. Yeah, that's outstanding. Listen, yeah. appreciate you calling in, brother. It's always good to hear from you. Well, it's uh, I look forward to seeing you. Uh, you're going to be at ICAST. I uh, am. Bounce, you're going to be at ICAST? I'll be there all week. Ac- yeah. Excellent. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to have a follow-up call on you about that one. Okay. No yeah, worries, man. an idea. No worries. Uh, well, you know what? You have one more idea at this time of day than I do. <laughs> so when, Mike, when's this my is food, the only idea you need at 5 o'clock. It's right here. <laughs> Papa's Pilar. Are you having a little Pilar? Are you having the sherry? Are you, Doing the uh, sherry cast today. Yep. Yeah, that's yes, nice. Sir. That's nice. I know that bouncer cottons to that. So, <laughs> but anyway, listen, you guys have a great night. Ellen, continue the superior work you're doing. Bounce, love you. Dennis, love you. Carlene, love you. Get some sleep. <laughs> Thank Mike, you, Mike. You're, you're the best, Mike. It's so good to hear from you. All right, you guys. I, I enjoy I enjoy the rest of the show, and I uh, look forward to seeing everybody soon. If you yep. need some boat handling lessons, give me a call. I can stop by and help you out. <laughs> Jesus, bouncer. I I'm think he's just saying right that now, just to – Yeah, I just think he's I just saying – I just want to get on the boat and go fishing with yeah, him. That, that's exactly. Well, everyone's saying trim it up. Don't trim it. Do yeah. this. Do this. It's got a 90 on it. The thing goes in the mid-50s, and it's – normally, I like – driving stuff like a scalded rat but this one i'm like oh i don't know and you know who drives a hell's bay really well our, our good buddy adrian you should give him a call he'll help you out <laughs> this one is the v it's got that v front on it and andy mill had one carl ball has one andy thompson has one and they are all giving me the same advice no oh, um, there you go you, you'll you'll figure it out <laughs> hey Mike there's a thing next to the steering wheel or it might have a foot pedal on yours but if you pull it back just a little bit you'll be able to control the boat better it, it, they call that a bottle or a throttle a throttle that is oh, funny you know I've been funny. pulling on the bottle not so much mm. on the throttle now we understand where there all we the go. problems there we come go. from that's, that's funny. All right. You guys, you guys have a great show. Thanks for, for everything you do and Connected by Water uh, rocks. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you guys later. All right. Bye. He's a fun guy. He's such a great guy. So listen. That's one thing that I'll that take to. advantage of right now. 
I want to mention that. As a Bring it up. Yeah, yeah. We're on a show called Connected by Water. When yes. you think of all the great people that we're connected to, mm-hmm. like I was telling you, Mike, Mar- Mike Alden, he, uh, Arnaldi, he's up there in headwaters and he's fishing for bass. Mm-hmm. And when the surf's up, you can't go bass fishing. I got to go surfing. Yeah. Two different water sports. And then you get the next guy. He's a paddleboarder. Or I was on the radio the other day with a guy who's a, runs kayak tournaments. And, right. And there's so many people that we interact with because we're connected by water. It's, yeah. That's what it, Listen, I mean, my zone here is primarily kite fishing, right? But we don't want it to be the kite fishing show. You know, it's like we, we want to talk about, we love it all. We, we have a passion for, like, you said it best. You could put yourself in, in front of a puddle as long as there's a fish there, you, you'd be happy. You have just as much fun catching fish on a sabiki as you do, right? I got news for you. If I got my fly rod, there don't even have to be a fish. I can just pretend. Right. Right. So that's what I'm saying. We love it all. We want to bring it all to the table here in Connect by Water. And we want to be a worldwide idea. Like no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, sure. we're all connected by water. That's what we always say. The whole right. world is held together by water. It is. The whole world survives based on water. We t- to me, the idea of connected by water is absolutely everything. It is. If you really think about it, the whole that whole statement sums it all up. We're all connected by water. That's no it. Doubt about it. And the passion for sport fishing further yeah. connects us because I remember I ended up in the Canary Islands once, uh, not fluent, not even halfway on Spanish, you know, in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I get, I make it the way all the way out to where I'm supposed to meet people. <laughs> And here we are having a meal and no one spoke English. <laughs> really? But but what was so interesting, you know, everyone gets animated about fishing. And so you can, you know, talk about or you can mention words. Most people, whether you're saying Pesca or Vela or you're, you know, mm-hmm. we c- continued acknowledging that was it, not not communicating, communicating through acknowledging a recognition of common passions that came from fishing. And then I was really happy when the the host showed up who spoke English. He <laughs> <laughs> interpreted the whole thing. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, That's thank you. But it is, it is a passion. And that is a universal language, that of fishing. Yep. 100%. 100%. And, and this is what I was going to say before my call, too, is that there's some out there that are going to say, well, you don't need to fish at all. It's, and, like, listen, this is one of the... It's He's just, right. I don't just, have to breathe. Either. Just Exactly. <laughs> and just from a domestic standpoint, you mentioned the international thing and the worldwide thing we talked about, no matter where we are. But just from a domestic and American thing, fishing is one of the greatest American traditions, right. traditions that there is. That's right. Right. And we have, a, we have a shirt design here on the wall. It's to celebrate tradition. That's what we mean by that. It's like this is one of the, one of the greatest American traditions. It's one of the greatest foundations to raise a family on. You know, when you raise a fishing family, you've done something special. And you've created that foundation. You've kept that core intact of, of continuing that tradition and moving forward as a strong, strong family. Very true. Yeah. But you think of the, you know, the, uh, the skills or qualities that you gain once you learn how to fish, especially mm-hmm. if you're on a boat with numerous people you know you've got participation is one in a group it takes discipline it takes practice i mean these are all values Uh, i have to contradict that because saturday i was fishing with rj boyle and 40 guests on the miss Mm. ala Mirada. i saw that with nick right and and the 
our guests were youth with cerebral palsy, their their <laughs> siblings and their parents. And whether it was the 14-year-old girl with the highest pitched scream in the world who just had a ball, or her father who couldn't figure out how to catch a grunt while she was catching him every drop, or any number of different, everybody on that boat, no matter what their physical abilities were or their age, everybody on that boat was having a ball. And I think that's another trait, you know, in addition to discipline and practice and all these things you gain from being part of the fishing scene, certainly having fun is a major factor regardless of your conditions and abilities to fish. Mm-hmm. You know, just being out there. So bravo to you and those that took those we kids fishing. We talk sometimes on the show, too, that about the deeper aspect to it. Um, of like for example when you go fishing with someone you take that with you for a long time you and that person that connection that you create rather than saying oh yeah i hung out with that guy at a bachelor party one night it's like yeah well who cares but you went on this fishing trip with this guy that that was the first time you met him was on that boat and you caught this nice big fish and you're going to keep that with you forever but there's also we talked about it at length and we've kind of i think figured this out on the show there's a primal aspect to that of who we are innately as human beings, right? Of you guys have hunted together. You guys have found this together. You guys have achieved this together, right? And you, you're you going to remember that. You're going to take that with you. It's almost like in your DNA at this point. Yeah, so it's, no it's pretty significant. It. And you brought that to children that normally wouldn't have that opportunity to feel that human. And I think that's pretty significant. Hey, listen, I can tell you from experience, there's nothing better than going fishing with a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, just they have no set values. You know, it's oh, it's a doggone bonita. Oh my god, I got a fish! I got a fish! It doesn't matter if it's a grunt or whatever, a sponge. Mm-hmm. It does, just doesn't matter to the kids. Doesn't matter. And, and when a kid, we all know from years of experience that if you teach a kid to fish, I saw a thing today that said if you teach a kid to fish, they don't have time or money. To get in trouble. Right. Because all the time and money goes to fish. My son is just so much fun catching like three, four pilchers at a time on a sabiki. Oh, yeah. He thinks that's the funniest thing when they're all just flipping around hitting the deck like that, right? <laughs> you wanted great. to bring up some closed zone stuff, didn't you? Yeah, I just want to mention that the National Marine Fishery Service, you know, continues to advance its proposal to open the pelagic longline closed zones off of the east coast of Florida, up all the way off of Charleston. And the one, the two in the Gulf of Mexico, you know, these zones have been closed for 20 years. Now, once again, the bureaucrats are raising, you know, stupefying questions. So they want to know, after keeping this gear out of the water for 20 years, do you think there are any conservation benefits? (laughs) Duh. So how are they want to measure that? They want the pelagic longline boats to go in and fish for swordfish and any other legally caught fish, land those fish, they'll send the data in, and they can sell those fish. And by golly, I say, you know, that's like having a savings account Mm -hmm. that has accrued and accrued over 20 years. And suddenly, some bureaucrat says, by golly, I think we we can buy with that money. I think we need to let... 
people go in there and spend all that money to see if it had actually grown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course it grew. And so they're going to issue decisions, you know, in December of this year of what they decided. They actually had a, quote, new science paper issued late last year using what they called the PRISM model. I wish it would be the PRISM model so we could keep it locked up. It's a model. I talked about mathematics and computer models. Mm -hmm. Where are these zones? The ones you're talking about specifically? The entire east coast of Florida. Yeah, offshore. No, all the way to shore and uh, all the way off. Halfway to the Bahamas. Yes. And, you know, in the Gulf of Mexico. And so they're planning on opening these. They're trying to rely on this one paper that TBF in its science says it lacks credibility. They, they are saying they can, using this model, determine where the fish will be and where the interaction will be. Mm-hmm. Well, TBF scientist Dr. Phil Goodyear is, I've had one great scientist tell me, Ellen, TBF employs one of the three top scientists in the world on stock assessments. I said, okay. He said the other two are dead. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's, we're talking about spatial distribution and their sophisticated models that our guy has done looking at the distribution or place of marlin in the water vertically and horizontally. This gets so technical, it numbs my brain when I start reading it. And so the group that the agency had to come up with the paper and computer model, eh, none of that rigorous science, and their backgrounds are not in tuna and highly migratory fish. They're in sharks, imagine that. Mm. And I forget what the other species. And so I had Dr. Goodyear do a quick review of the paper when it came out last year. And he says, you know, this is so susceptible to whoever puts in the parameters and it's not what he would recommend using. Yet the bureaucrats feel very comfy in their, in selecting or having this paper done by inside scientists, Mm -hmm. that this is what they're going to put out to substantiate allowing longline boats back in. And lastly, one, one last factor they're trying to claim might have come from the closed zones is, do you think these conservation zones added to our swordfish trade deficit? Mm-hmm. You could take every swordfish in these zones and export it would make a difference. It's, no. you know, it's just a bunch of bureaucratic want to sound good, but making, right. but we'll keep could, their funding on their side. That's right. And when those long line boats start trolling up and down the East coast, the whole Florida East coast and the Gulf of Mexico, people will start paying attention, but we need to stop it before it gets any yeah. further. All right. So listen, this guy's got to go catch some swordfish on, on gotta a single go line, a puppy. right? You got to go get your puppy. Okay. I want to thank you guys so much for coming in. This has been an outstanding episode. Of course, how could it not be? You guys are simply amazing. So, Truly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you very much. Well, um, support the Billfish Foundation. Amen. I, I, I want to close on 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 that. Really, truly support the Billfish Foundation, Ellen. You really are a gem, like it's to all of us. And and I 
I hope everyone starts appreciating you like we appreciate you and you, you, you fight the good fight and, and we love you for it. So we'll continue and certainly appreciate all listeners, you know, and do please support Bill Fish Foundation. We put your money where our mouth is to mm-hmm. make a difference so you can keep fishing. Yep. So listen, I have you, Dennis. To, I have to do uh, the do-gooder oh, of the week, right? So, and then Corey texted me, uh, Corey Redwine, who you know, right, has texted me the do-gooder. So, if you've been watching the show, you know that we are doing our Starbright program, right? So, we are in collaboration with Starbright and Derek Redwine and Corey Redwine, my fellow artist friends up in the Indian River Lagoon, Merritt Island area. And Corey, as we talk about it on every episode, has just been the greatest steward um, of our coastlines. And she has championed this cause. She is uh, head of conservation at Starbright. And Uh. we have collaborated on this program. So we are going to announce the do-gooder of the week. And this can be out to anybody who just... For anyone who just wants to pick up some trash along the coastline or just continually acts as a shining example for their local community, right? So I said, I said hey, we're got the bouncer and Ellen coming on here. So, so who's our do-gooder for this week, right? And she says, hey, how about we say it's Jeff Butler, right? Who, she says, Jeff but- Butler of Merritt Island, whether garbage on the water or people broke down on their jet skis, Jeff takes the time to stop and help. Recently, he traveled to South Carolina for a jet ski trip, and he did some shore cleaning on Lake Kiowi. I think I said that right, right? On Father's Day. And he's a community kind of guy. And we are going to mention that he uh, specialized in jet ski repairs. His name of his business is um, Performance Fiberglass Repairs. So thank you, Jeff, for being um, our do-gooder of the week. You have received the Starbright bucket that has cool. the degreaser, and the salt wash and the boat wash and 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 all the great um, environmentally friendly Starbright products um, that are, that's coming your way, buddy. So Wherever thank you very much. Jeff is, thank you for your service to the environment and to the public. Absolutely. Yeah, you want to nominate a do-gooder, just at C Redwine, S-E-A Redwine, at Connected by Water, at Dennis Friel Art, or at Starbright underscore com. Any one of those will do a message or a tag to any one of those. You don't have to do all of them. So as long as we hear about what you're doing good in your local coastal community, that's all we want to know. So Ellen Peel, the Billfish Foundation, Captain Bouncer Smith, Captain Bouncer Smith, the great. <laughs> thank you very much for joining me. Carlene, thank you very much. You were very um, quiet today, but we still appreciate you being with us very much uh, today. Um, well, thank you for including us and extending the invitation. Really uh, appreciate being part of the It's my team. honor. It's my honor, truly, for, uh, for both of you. Um, so if you're in the market for a new truck, Jeep, or family vehicle, call our good friends at joeycardychrysler.jeepram, and they will hook you up. Call, ask for Dean. Tell them that you heard about uh, joeycardychrysler.jeepram on the Connected by Water podcast. I'm going to say you're going to get a better deal than most people will. They may do that, but we'll see, right? But it couldn't hurt, right? Um, And also, we've been drinking Papa's Pilar rum here today. And they remind you never to be a spectator. We are so proud to be part of the Papa's Pilar family. Um, Not only just because they're a great bunch of guys, not only because their product is wonderful, but they are also huge stewards of conservation. And we, they are in lockstep with what we were trying to achieve on this show. So uh, we we are very proud to be part of that Papa's Pilar family. Um, If you're hungry, why don't you go head down to Papa's raw bar in lighthouse point where they had the best raw bar in the world best sushi menu because it is but also it helps that it's called the 
connected by water inspired sushi <laughs> menu, right? So um, hand selected choices here um, are on that menu, and they're doing great things down there. And uh, they want you to eat, drink, and be local. Um, I want you also to know that if you are in the market for a teak chair, a fighting chair, a rocket launcher, anything like that, call our buddy Carlene or email her carlene at bluewaterchairs that's k-a-r-l-e-n-e at bluewaterchairs.com right and she will absolutely help you out best in the business right over here okay so ellen peel bouncer smith thank you very much yeah thank Um, you your ego is not your amigo Always do your best at the end of the day, just like God do the rest. And do not ever forget that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we're all connected, connected by, by water. water. Thank you. Thank you.